This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. <laughs> anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Wanted to do the uh, story of Daryl since you were here. Oh. Man. I don't know if we'd ever done this. It's a good story. It's, it's a unique one. Yeah. Um, all right. So starts in Ohio, let's go. where I'm a couple miles from. Yeah, we can skip the childhood. You're, LeBron and Maverick. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You and Maverick were best friends. <laughs> no. So you were slight underachiever, but super smart in high school. What college uh, you went? You went to Northwestern. Northwestern. Yeah. Did Wildcats. well at Northwestern. Think so. Feels like I did. When yeah. did you decide you want to get into sports? When I was like eight. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reading the Bill James abstracts and was really into baseball um, because, you know, I was a math nerd and yeah. loved numbers. That was the only game. It wasn't like you couldn't download, you couldn't get football stats or anything. Baseball was the only game in town. And uh, so I was really big into baseball stats and all-star baseball with the spinners and uh, Stratomatic. And so what are we talking, early, early 80s here? Early baseball. Yeah, it's mid-80s, mid towards the end of the 80s. Microleague so. baseball? Any microleague? You know, I didn't play microleague. I played Earl Weaver baseball in the Commodore yeah. okay. 64 and um, had, a, had a league with my friends. That was a nerdy league. Yeah, this yeah. There wasn't, yeah, it was all male, all male league, as you might it's expect. pre-internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, playing fantasy, you know, fantasy baseball and playing, uh, you know, I, I was terrible at baseball. I played basketball, but was really into baseball statistics. So went so, to Northwestern, got a job, got a longer, longer story that I won't tell, but, uh, you know, I found a job nearby in Skokie at Stats Inc., Bill James's firm with John Dewan, the founder there and got, uh, and my wife worked there too, my, my now wife, Ellen, so yeah. So this is mid nineties. You leave the Northwestern. You leave Northwestern. You get a yeah. job at Stats Inc. And at that time, um, they were just like, a baseball firm. Yeah, and I feel like Stats had not taken off yet. Not really, right? Stats got bought later, but it was growing. No, I mean, not growing even fast. Stats, but just in general. Like, oh, in general, no, no. It seemed yeah. like the late nineties was baseball when it started starting to really come on. Obviously, the founding of Stats Inc. was a big part of that, um, and. You know, while I was there with Mike Canner, he Mike really started the basketball part of stats, and I, you know, I was entering yeah. by hand like all the ba- basketball statistics, and uh, and then I, you know, I got an opportunity in the '90s to I got part of their basketball book, their first basketball book. And I, I, I have that one. I know, and I put a Carl Malone on the cover. I think. Yeah, and I had a yeah. formula in it. And yeah. Oh that wow. That was like that was like my first basketball thing. Was what was the formula? Uh, so Bill James had this formula called the Pythagorean baseball formula, which basically take your runs scored and given yep. up, and you can forecast how many wins you should have had from that. And it didn't work in baseball, and no one had really sort of solved how to adapt something like that to basketball. And 
Uh, I, you know, as part of a Northwestern stats class, I basically adapted it to basketball and it made, made the book. So that was my, is that it was actually, my first claim to fame. Is yeah. it a good theory? It like, works. Does it hold up now? Absolutely. Yeah. It still holds. You just, instead of, instead of the square of your runs, it's to the power of 14. Ah. So, and that was the key. Ah. Yeah. So my, my history <laughs> Every, You've stats. lost all your listeners right about now. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. My history of stats was I was very early with fantasy sports. Me and my dad were in a baseball league, I think, starting in 81. That was Whoa. just batting average plus homers. <laughs> what? It's amazing. So this is like the worst league ever. Well, what were we going to do? There, there was no way to keep track of plus this. Plus homers? It was like that the, was it. So it was like you, warped ops. So if you had like, you know, Robin Yount and he had 320 with 20 homers, he was yeah. a 340. Yeah. So we drafted somebody for every position. And it was like three outfielders. And then you had the guys all year. And if you traded them, you, it wasn't even like you had the was old Was it just set. the American League too or both leagues? I think it was both leagues. Wow. Ah. But if So if I traded you Robin Yount for Mike yeah. Schmidt halfway through the year, they just we just swapped the stats. Oh. And then next week, yeah, we didn't even – because oh. how were we going to compile the right, stats right. from April, May, June? It was it's like, like there's no internet. Calculating the cap. Like if you yeah. trade a guy, they just, you switch everything. Right. Got it. Okay. So they would add – so like every once in a while, I would get this in the mail from somebody. be like, here are the stats. And it would right. be like your catcher, first base, all these guys, 340, 290, 310. Right. Divide by the number, and that was your team, and then the totals. So the free swingers were great, like Andre Dawson. Like I'm trying to think your league, the guys well, that had a that, decent yeah, no OBP, no stolen bases. <laughs> no, but like, uh, so then I would have did, changed your rules immediately. You would have kicked me out. What of the were league. you do? These these are my dad's friends. <laughs> yeah, They're yeah, all like yeah. all guys that were at a bar. I know. So I just saw your dad at game two against. The, oh yeah, uh, yeah. The, Cavs there, so he's sweating through uh, the Celtics. He was expecting. Yeah, I have- saw him at halftime when the uh, Cavs were up seventy-five to thirty-eight. Or- I think he might have left. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, that, that one of those games he left at halftime. He was so disgusted. That was the greatest performance I've ever seen by a player. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so then in the mid '80s, a basketball league started, and Whoa. I think it was one of the. It was called the Larry Bird League. Ironically, I wrote about this a million years ago on ESPN, but these guys. It was something Bird said about how he judged basketball oh, yeah. players. He did points plus three points, points plus rebounds plus assists. That was Larry Bird's thing, right? I think he might have stole it from Red, maybe. I'm maybe. not sure. Yeah. So this league was points, rebounds, assists, and I think steals and blocks, and nice. just add them all together. Just and the Larry Bird League. And it Larry Bird, works. of course, was amazing. That was way better than your batting average plus home Yo, runs. <laughs> no question. No question. So then we had that, and that was. That became once USA Today started doing the. They remember they would have the Tuesday stats. Yeah, loved it. Poured over. Then you'd have to like by hand like add them on a piece of paper. Oh my god! The Dude, first spreadsheet so on Commodore sixty four was like my greatest thing ever. Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Well, we didn't have anybody like you. I think we had some. Yeah. I think I might have even been doing it. <laughs> so then football, my first one. When was nineteen ninety? Maybe. No. Nah. And that was. 1991, Fantasy I think. football came earlier. No, I'm saying when the, oh, my when first league. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But all this stuff was the same thing. It was like very primitive info. Because Roto Baseball was like it. late 70s because you had a 30 for 30 yeah. on that. I watched yep. that one. And then basketball came on like mid 80s. And then, uh, and then you know, football, football was, was like late 80s. Yeah. It was a little bit later. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then Stats Inc. was really, I remember the first time. I knew about the Bill James stuff. I read the books. Yeah. It didn't Did seem really- Did you buy them all? I want to buy them away from you. You got them? Well, I got one on eBay. I was I You was got on eBay you. and I, I got immediately the first offered, one. You, I offered you double. No, and you're I was, like, no. I was like, no way. You could offer me 10 tuple. <laughs> like, yeah. So you yeah, have more, the you first more one. cake than me. So I was like, it's so simple. can't outbid you. <laughs> so. <laughs> it was so simplistic, the, the first abstract. Oh, yeah. No, it was- it's like 40 it pages. Was pioneering and- yeah. He talked to Bill. He'll credit some other people, but he was the first one to put it on paper. And and uh, yeah, I mean, it's whenever I every year my favorite day of the year almost is I almost always have to go to Lawrence, Kansas for a game. You know, obviously they have top prospects, and Bill goes to every game, and I'll 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 have dinner with him, and and uh, you know he he's he's now working on like amazing. He had this popular crime. Mert, probably their crime book, which is unbelievable. One of my favorite books of the last it's so 15 good. He years. He saw the Kennedy thing. Yeah. Like, and uh, he's got another one coming out. I don't think I can say anything about it, but he's got one that's going to be unbelievable when it comes out. So I, The thing that's great about him and is just a good lesson when people always ask, like, how do I break into this business? What's with blah, blah, blah. It's always like, well, 
just work harder than everybody else and throw yourself into whatever you're doing. Bill James is the best example of, I have an idea. I'm going all the way with it. Like he does the true yeah. crime book and it's like, it's like 500 pages and he spends 10 years it's on it. And he's like a lunatic with it. He, he, I think the best thing I ever heard him say, and it was a non-baseball related thing. I asked him how he got anything. And his insight was like, look, I did poorly in high school because I love baseball and I like goofing around. Yeah. And it was literally, that's what made my career. You know, he's hilarious in his writing and his writing's unbelievable. Uh, and he loved baseball. So the things that got him in trouble in school are what made him who he is today. So if you have a passion, just chase it. Don't care about your teachers. And and go all in. Don't go yeah, 90%. Exactly. The bummer for me with Bill James is that I just didn't know about him. Yeah, it would he be was hard in the to. back of. I was getting the sporting news back then, and that's how he would advertise. But I would just never knew yeah, about it. It was right next to the guy on the beach getting the yeah. Sand it's like, out. what is that? <laughs> so. And then I remember, like maybe eighty one, seeing in a bookstore, eighty one or eighty two, and be like, "What's that, Dad?" Buy Might me not that. have been a bookstore till a little later. Maybe. I, I saw it somewhere. I because I have the well, eight- Boston's a little more progressive, so they have those good bookstores. Ohio, there's nothing where I was at. So we had. Uh, I didn't catch it till eighty six. Actually, the green, the green. I had the eighty two one. one, so somehow That's I got amazing. that. Amazing, yeah. I don't well, know Boston if I have has 81. a history of great bookstores, so they probably they might have carried it actually, yeah. Because oh, the the uh, quality of them goes up. I had to hope the Walden books would have something. Like- Walden books, oh my god, remember those <laughs> down at Summit Mall? And- yeah. <laughs> so, so stats takes off. Yeah, and the internet changes everything. Yeah, and now all of a sudden, loads of statistical information are going up and are changing how we're following sports at the same time. Billy Bean, Moneyball, all yeah. that starting. And I'm then- desperate leaving stats because I couldn't, you know, it was a very low-paying job. I was like, I, you know, I can't make whatever forever. So I tried to get a job in sports. Not a single person made said anything. This was in 96. You're writing, like, letters and stuff? What are you oh, doing? Oh, right. I sent a letter to every team, you know, here's what I hope to do, blah, blah, blah. No answer, of course, um, which I, I wouldn't answer my own letter, so right. it's fine. <laughs> um and then just desperate to get into sports. So I I basically said, hey, I'm going to have to be super rich. Like, that's my only chance was I have to be super. So then I went on to do stuff that had no chance to make me super rich. I, like, I was at, like, a pharmaceutical firm. I was at, uh, you know, a, a, a company that called MITRE that works with the NSA and CIA. Um and then I decided to go to business school, which is also a terrible idea to get rich. But it's I got lucky, got into a consulting firm, and that firm ended up working on the Red Sox deal before John Henry bought it. And that oh, was okay. that was my 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 key because the group that was going to buy them, the local owners, uh, Carp and O'Donnell, I remember who actually outbid yeah Henry. Um, I was like the nobody working on that team. And but they kicked to me a part of the project, which was like they wanted to buy the Red Sox and Celtics together, and then create a, a I cable. Remember. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was he, a great idea. By yeah, the way. and Yes was just doing the same thing. Yep. And so I got that piece of the project, and then of course they didn't get the bid. I'm I'm ready to jump off the building, and it wasn't. But that was always shady how they didn't get the bid either. Oh, it was how, the, how somehow the highest bid we had doesn't the highest win the auction. Bid, yeah. And you know, the reality was my memory was, you know, that our group wouldn't promise they would support their one of their proposals for I think revenue sharing. And so it was a I Bud think, Selig, yeah, he yeah. he greased the I don't the know. I, I was nobody in the project. No, so that's Bud just Selig. what I heard. Yeah. Um and then basically, you know, Wick, uh, who I really owe so much to, was, you know, had had gone to the Celtics and put a bid down, uh, but had like a, a one or two week due diligence period. And then Steve Paliuka, who knew the CEO of our firm, Parthenon, where I was at, um, you know, basically said, Hey, we need to analyze this deal fast. And I think Steve, you know, knew Wick and told Wick, Hey, this group's already done really good analysis. And so uh, that's how I got on the Celtics group 
you know, helping Wick to potentially buy the Celtics, and that was really my in. So I mean, that's a total fluke in a lot of ways. In, in many ways, yeah. That's you know amazing. how things. You know, you like to think you're ready for the opportunity because I had worked at Stats and was such yeah. a huge sports fan and into all that. But you know, I know some amazing people. I'm sure you do too, who just have never gotten that that one little opening chance. We well, to- basically had two because. Just randomly, the Red Sox and Celtics are selling at the same time. They're right. in the perfect time for you to yep. be involved. Yep. And if it's five years later, neither of those teams are for sale. Yeah, I mean, I when people ask, I get asked all the time, like, "Hey, I want to get into sports. What do I do?" And I'm like, well, "Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like just just be passionate, and 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 when your break comes, Jump be ready it. to pounce." I will say, you know, working with Wick's team and Steve Pelucas' team. On that deal, like my wife thought it was crazy. I literally wouldn't come home. We were we were working twenty out of twenty four hours around the clock, and when you see that little crack in the door, just plow through. Like don't yeah. uh, you cannot like treat it like it's nine to five at that point. Like you have to stand out. And I still remember to this day, Wick. Like day three into it, we were giving a presentation, and and he. And he turned to me and he was like, you know, you'd look really good in green. I still remember that moment. It was like one of the big moments of my life. Wow. And, uh, and, so he uh, just, he, there was something about you that he liked. And I, he's like, we got to just fold this guy in somehow. You have to ask him. Yeah. And that's actually usually a taboo thing. Like you're not supposed to hire people away. But uh, I always thank Bill Ockmeyer, the head of Parthenon, who, you know, gave, you know, permission to maybe have me join the Celtics. So, so. did they say like carve out what your dream like, if you're going to help the Celtics, how would you help us? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really care. In fact, I think Wick almost didn't hire me because I was, like, desperately at, like, 3 a.m. saying, like, I really want to be there. Right. And finally, he sent, I remember he sent me an email back, like, hey, chill. Right. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, I, I, I was acting very like a 20-year-old during that. I was I was very uh, – It was I knew it was maybe my break. And yeah. so I, like, was, did not act rationally and was very desperate and uh, – um yeah and then and then you know wick just had me like work on different things with the celtics and then he brought in he brought in danny ainge and rich gotham and i you know i was i was pretty young so i you know it was appropriate for them to bring in more experienced guys and uh, i just worked with both of them for a few years so when did you become like the advanced metrics guy for the celtics uh, I mean, I always like that was the thing, and then uh, you know, I hired Mike Zarin, who's yeah. obviously almost a legend in the industry now. Uh, he was in. I hired him as an intern, and he was working, I think, at the Twelfth Circuit in Columbus, like like yeah. one of the obvious, probably the smartest guy I know. And he's, uh, and then he actually ended up getting to work more on basketball than me because he he just was an intern full time. Uh, and I was like splitting my time between helping with the business side and the basketball side. And yeah, so that, and, and then somehow, some way, like my next big break was when, uh, Carol Dawson was retiring in Houston. Uh, he, you know, he, he, uh, our owner, Leslie Alexander was like looking for a new GM and he had been looking for a while, which I didn't know. And, but he was looking for someone different. Uh, he, you know, he was obviously watching the trends of information and Billy Bean and he had interviewed, I think, I mean, he'd have to say, but I think he'd interviewed five, six, seven people and didn't like them. He just didn't want to fire the old school GM, the former player. Well, Leslie's been uh, way ahead of his time for years, like on the pace and space and who he's hired and I mean, everything. And, you know, I, I was helping a a headhunter, Buffy Philippel. Giving, she was like trying to find someone to help fit the job, so I was helping her for like six months, saying, "Hey," because I didn't think I was necessarily ready. Honestly, I'd just been at the Celtics for I think three years, and I was like, "Hey, what about this? What about that?" And then finally, she was like, "Hey, he wants to meet you," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay." Yeah. I mean, I found out on like a Tuesday, and I was interviewing two days later at nine a.m. and 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 I had the job by like two o'clock that that day, so. Let's go backwards. Yeah. So you're at the Celtics. It's like, this is your life here, sort of, Bill. Yeah, a little bit. That's what I told you it was going to be. You're at like 0405 range. They're revamping the team. They have a bunch of cap space issues because they had traded for Vin Baker's contract. That turned out to be a disaster. I worked a lot on the Vin Baker thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Rafe LaFrance, like he comes in. He's got a big contract. 
Paul Pierce had a big contract, and they were kind of in salary cap hell for four or five years. The Celtics fans were, we were beside going, themselves. We were going nuts. Because not only was the team not good enough, and it had been many years since you had last won the title, uh, they, you know, everyone knew they were just locked in. Yeah. Because like, there's no flexibility under the cap and everything. So, yeah, the Vin Baker thing was one of the big things I worked on. And Mike Zarin worked on, it and obviously Danny did early. So just trying to figure out what to trying do. Trying to it. figure out because, like, he he obviously was had going through some personal troubles at the time, and it was just how do we create a win win for him and the Celtics at that time. So uh, I hear he's doing well. At when did point. um when did you start looking at different ways to evaluate players? Did that start at the Celtics? I mean, that started Stats Inc. Okay, in like ninety. So like at the yeah. Celtics. Because you're dealing with all this old school way of thinking and this and this guy. No, he's a good shooter because that's his field goal percentage. <laughs> well, I remember one big thing on that was uh, Coach O'Brien was a coach. who's obviously a very good coach. And, and uh, you know, he was he was talking about how the defense was number one in the league. And, and he was looking at defensive raw field goal percentage. And and uh, I was actually working with Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel, yeah. the head coach. And uh he was, I think, the the fourth assistant, maybe maybe third or fourth assistant at the time, and I was he and Frank and I was really smart, and uh, and so was Coach O'Brien, and, and I was walking through like, hey, you know, that's not like you're we're really not number one. You realize that, and yeah, and it turned out they were number one in defensive field goal percentage, but we were like actually eleventh in overall defense measured the right way, which is really you know DER, yeah, right? the rating, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, actually one of the tough meetings was me meeting with Coach O'Brien early and saying, like, okay, yes, you are number one in field goal percentage. That's, you know, but you also are giving up the most open threes in the league. So, yeah, like, you can't – we can't be packing the paint this much because, like, these threes are, are sort of killing you. He would front the post. So, yeah, again, defensive field goal percentage is low because no one got any, like, close-in post-ups – but the reality was we were really low on defensive rebounding because people get inside position. So our defensive rebounding percentage was was really bad. Then we also had sort of a no layups attitude. So even if anyone got a layup, we would just foul them. So, yeah. of course, the only shots that actually happened were these, like, you know, were either shots outside of six feet. If you're inside six feet, people were fouling you. And then – we're basically giving up inside position on rebounding. And so when you adjusted for all that, I, you know, it was basically like, yeah, we're not first. We're like 11th. Yeah. And like, and coach O'Brien, you know, he's great. He was like, yeah, that's not, yeah, yeah that's, that's not good. <laughs> so, you know, what's interesting about O'Brien yeah. is those Celtic teams he had when he took over from Patino were kind of a prototype for how basketball is being played now. It was just with terrible three point shooters, but they were jacking Absolutely. up 25, 26 threes a game and getting to the line. The late 90s Celtics team was one of the most unique ever. They were turning people over. They were playing pressure, up-tempo, yeah. and it was really innovative. The problem was they were giving up way too many layups on the other end. It just yeah. it just didn't work, and I don't think for 48 minutes like the superstars of the league really can play that kind of basketball. But it it was really it's probably the last most innovative team that's been put on the floor in a long time. It's it's not quite a thirty for thirty. It's like kind of a <laughs> half ass thirty for thirty. But but I mean, there was one year Antoine, I think in the playoff shot like eight threes a game. Yeah, and yeah. was just that was what they were well, going to yeah, do. Yeah, Coach O'Brien, none of them were going in. New threes were good. I mean, yeah. he was way up there on knowing three was worth more than two, which is why one of our I was having a discussion with Frank Vogel. That was like. If you know it's good on offense, you got to know it's bad on D. Like you, yeah. you, that that whole marriage hadn't happened yet because people were still running like Dick Harder type defensive concepts, and 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 a lot of those end up giving up more open threes. And you know, like it wasn't until recently now you get the switching with long range of pe- the the offenses have, offenses have adjusted faster than the defenses to the modern game, right. and you're only now seeing like the coaches really adjust to how the offenses are playing. So could you feel like setting up this, how the Rockets thing happened when things started shifting, Moneyball comes out. Um, the advanced metrics thing is now becoming like this real touch point in sports journalism. Yep. How should we measure players? There's this new way to do it. The old school guards fighting back. This is wrong. Who are the nerds? Screw these guys. And I remember we were in Houston at All Star Weekend. I, yeah. I didn't know you that 06. well. Yeah, 
Um, but I knew you and we, my buddy Sully, freezing cold, and MVP in my wedding, yeah. Sean Sullivan, and yeah. we were out at the Four Seasons Hotel, and I was telling you you're going to be a GM, and you were like, "No, I'm not," and I'm like, <laughs> "It's going to happen. One of these owners is going to." I know. He's going to look you at this and say- You literally predicted 100%. I did. I remember it. It's, listen, I'm wrong a million times. This is one of the times where I was yeah. like, one of these owners is going to yeah. be like, I want my Billy Bean. And I'm like, who's around the league? Who's like you? And there wasn't really there wasn't that many, one. right? I mean, at that Mike, point? Mike is the other guy. He's going to get a job as well. Well, Mike's been offered jobs yeah, a million I know. times. He's probably Well, smart. now there's, now there's a lot of them now, though. Uh, there's a lot of like say, advanced yeah, metrics yeah. based. Up, up, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah. in 06, there wasn't. You know what else I remember in that four seasons? I I had had too many. You were overserved. Is I the was other overserved. Part I remember. Yeah. And you saved me from like going up to a very I, key I made you executive. Yeah. I made you I leave. I almost embarrassed myself completely. And you yeah. saved me. So I well, thought you, you might have killed my GM chance right there. <laughs> so, you could have. Yeah. But that was the, yeah, that was like the big power hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Everything was happening there. Like, yeah, David Falk and one Jordan quarter. was playing uh, Boo Ray. Boo Ray. <laughs> uh, oh but uh, yeah, and then like three months later, all of a sudden. It was three months later. You're was, going in right. yeah. and everybody's like. It was actually Rockets- two months later, if you can believe it. Because it was February and I got oh, yeah. in April of 06. Yeah. So everybody's like, the Rockets hired a guy who didn't coach or play basketball? Oh. Our poor Who the CEO, hell is this guy? Our poor CEO now, like Tad Brown, all the. All the press hit of of the negativity of of you know our owner Leslie Alexander hiring me like hit and he's just dealing with like the radio guys calling me deep blue and like yeah they're, like they're calling the owner crazy and and like he had to deal with all that and because uh, I was like behind the scenes like it wasn't like right it wasn't like I was like known or anything around the league I was like Mike was maybe ten years ago right yeah. And so, yeah, the owner, I'll, I'll never forget the, the risk, you know, the, the personal risk the owner took to give me a shot. It was amazing. So you come in and you realize that you have two of the best players in the league in your team, which is an advantage. That was nice. And I didn't realize how Including much- Tracy, who was like one of the early advanced metrics painted him as much better than maybe oh, the traditional ones. Absolutely. In fact, people were debating him or Kobe for yeah. a while. Like there I a, still think his ceiling was higher than Kobe's. Tracy had two years better than Kobe yeah. ever had. Pro, like just on individual accolades, yeah. obviously. Um, I also don't think Kobe could have ever won twenty-two straight games with that Houston team. I still think that the, the, what T Mac did with that team is T-Mac incredible. Literally made that happen. Yeah, like he. You had seven guys. My the moment I remember from the twenty-two game winning streak more than any is where at win number seventeen. And Carl Landry goes down because we had lost Yao at game 11. Yeah. Carl Landry goes down. And people don't realize Carl was his rookie year, was like just dominating, like just killing. And I'm like, oh, well, this is over. Like, freaking Carl. I mean, he was key. I talked to Tracy and we had just signed Mike Harris out of Rice. Yeah, good, I remember. Really, him. really good player, still playing in China. Uh, and, uh, and I'm like, Tracy, man, we lost Carl Landry. He's like, what's wrong? And I was like, yeah, he's been great for us. He's like, well, I'm making him great. Like, Mike Harris will be just as good. Don't worry. <laughs> wow. And like, he was right. Like, yeah. Mike Harris had, like, this amazing stretch of, like, five games before he finally lost to the, the eventual champion Celtics that year. So. T-Mac. He's, so, yeah, he's no. the lost career of that decade. T-Mac made, T-Mac made so many people better. Yeah. I mean, he, his people forget his passing was absurd. Like, you know, he... James now is like on his level, or maybe you could say better. But like both, I've been blessed to have two superstars who are like ridiculous passers. So, do you think uh, I was a defender for T Mac Hall of Fame? I actually thought he was underrated. The, Peak level, you can't argue. Yeah, it. yeah he was the, the demeanor best that he had as a superstar. Do you feel like he was as cutthroat as he needed to be? I, I think it. I think it hurt that people thought he wasn't. I mean. Go back and look at all his playoff statistics. They were unbelievable. He's one of those guys who got better in the playoffs. I respect those guys. Yeah. You know, you know, Dwight Howard, who people, you know, like to beat up now. He look at his playoff run with us. He is on every year unbelievable. So yeah. you look almost every player gets like ten to twenty percent worse in the playoffs. The guys who get better are the ones you want on your team. And Tracy was that. What did you think were the big inefficiencies when you took over that quickly got closed? Because it seems like I mean, shooting three pointers was. I mean, that one. 
uh, that one's still coming, but like that was such an easy inefficiency, and and now everyone's catching up. That was simple one. You know, I'd say like obviously the inefficiency of you know paint, you know paint shots outside of the paint, not threes. I think that one's pretty close. What about for like how much success you had in the draft those first couple of years? Like, what, oh yeah, what using, was... using draft models. Yeah, I mean we had you know obviously Brooks, you know Aaron Brooks picked late twenties, Carl Landry picked thirty one that year. You know even even onto like uh, you know guys like even Chandler Parsons and stuff. But you know our draft board ends up getting. Yeah, you know, the the league is way more efficient in the draft now too. So you like you really valued college production back then more than other teams. More than other teams, I think teams like the Spurs were always really smart. Spurs were obviously yeah. way ahead on international guys. Yeah, that's caught up. That that was a big advantage that got closed, and then then the league overcorrected with like Skittish Vili and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and Darko and stuff like that, and so. I actually think we may be in a little bit of an overcorrection on using analysis now because you'll see us sign guys, you know, like Chris Paul is one of, like one of the best mid-range shooters ever. Like, you know, am I am I am I worried he's going to take mid-range? No, because uh, he's really good at him and it's going to add uh, a good aspect to our offense. So um, I, I would say there might not be an overcorrection or people using maybe numbers a little bit too much. So I, I'm hoping that will help us for a little while. Uh, that you know that 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 you know overreaction almost like the international players yeah that was probably the flaw of your team last year was you you abandoned the mid-range completely and then san antonio said we're giving you 18 footers we dare you to take them i i would hate to go as far as flaw um i do think you want to be every team has a flaw yeah oh of course that's a good point yeah i do think you want to be have multiple threats from especially going against very good playoff defenses you want to have multiple threats all over the floor and multiple aspects to your offense. And that's a big reason we're excited about Chris. I'm shocked people. A lot of the arguments are like, you know, is the fit there and things like that. And they remind me of the articles on when Durant joined Golden State. Go back and look. Yeah. You can find all these articles, like how they shouldn't have done it. And it's there. They were obviously absurd. And the articles on us and whether or not James and Chris can work, I think, are pretty crazy. I think too. the only thing is the usage rate thing. That was my biggest fear of it. Yep. Is that it's two guys that succeed the most when they have the ball. Right, and and my Curry point, plays off the ball, so the the sharing the ball thing. I always thought it was going to hurt like Clay Thompson the most. Here's why it'll work: like either next to Chris or James, you need you need guys who can who can shoot. Like the fact that both of them shoot at a very high rate is pretty key. Yeah, uh, and then obviously Chris. Uh, being a very very good defender is also key. So uh, both of them work off the ball really well, uh, even though they're two of the best all time on the ball. So I, I, we're very comfortable at a work. I mean, just look at USA basketball. They they you know I was they gonna make say it they, yeah. when you have two of the best fifteen guys in the league. When the or USA whatever. basketball teams have forty, no one's like, oh, I wonder if it'll work with right. uh, you know whether you know Steph James and you know Chris Paul can work. Yeah, it works pretty well. Yeah, they're all. The other thing is they're both extremely smart players, so they're going to adapt. They're going to adapt to each other really well. So the uh, going back to the late two thousands, the the model that you had, the draft model, yeah. which I always used to make fun of you. Well, about. you got to give a lot of credit to Mike Zarin as well. We we yeah. had an early version, and then Mike came in and really. Uh, really took it to the next level. Did you feel like other teams figured out what the model was eventually? Yeah. Yeah, yeah teams have caught up. Because I figured um, it out in like three years. Yeah, we feel... I used to send you texts making fun of <laughs> I know, people you were, were like, good you're for taking the this guy, you were always right. Yeah. <laughs> Mike and I try to predict each other's picks every year. It's pretty yeah. funny. Um, yeah, no, I, most, I mean, we obviously feel like we're farther ahead, but it, yeah, the, the edge is much smaller. Like the, the difference between better model and slightly better model is way different than better model, no model. Right. right. So, so that edge is really eroded and, and, you know, we're having to adapt and our thinking has adapted as well. In the mid two thousands, late two thousands too, you guys did a lot of some of the stuff you're doing with like where guys like to make shots on the floor mm-hmm. and this guy's great from this spot and he's not good from this spot. Not a lot of teams were doing that back then. Right. No, yeah, and I I think that's caught up too. That's yeah, caught a lot up. of the, that helps defenses a lot. Obviously. Yeah, more maybe more than offenses, and uh, a lot of that it really advanced work on scouting reports, um, and and our, you know and having a coaching staff that knows how to use it that's 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 still coming as well. 
Um, but we have, yeah, I have a great coaching staff now, even though Mike obviously is far along in his career, he's always been a pioneer Yeah, and, uh, he surrounded himself with, you know, great assistants who are also very, very forward thinking guys. So the most controversial trade you made early that people killed you on was Battier for gay. Yes. You could have taken Rudy Gay. You could have drafted him. What was that, 2006? We actually were going to take or Tabo Cephalosha, not even Rudy Gay. Oh, you like, weren't even going to take Rudy yeah, Gay? Yeah, wow. I wasn't technically in charge, so it was uh, Carol Dawson was still a GM. Hmm. Um, and uh, Dennis Lindsay was there. He's gone on to be unbelievable with Utah, as you know. And, yeah, I think. I mean, honestly, I don't know for sure who Carol was going to take, but uh, as far as I could tell, we were on the pace to take Tabo, to Carol's credit, he was trying to move up to get Brandon Roy. He had yeah. that really pegged really well. And uh, and if, you know, but we were going to take Tabo, actually. And, wow. Uh, so, yeah. But we, you were pushing for Battier, right? Your whole staff was. I was, was. pushing for Shane because yeah. we, we felt like with Yao and Tracy in their prime, Shane was like, it was actually really hard to enter the ball to Yao. We needed yeah. a guy who could be a defender next to Tracy, and we needed a guy who had height and could shoot the three and could enter the ball to Yao. And honestly, we needed a great, an extra culture guy who was going to be good. So we were, we pushed hard for that. And honestly, yeah, analytically, that's actually not a good move. Um, hmm. But we felt like analytically because we of what? Uh, I think. You generally can get more value at the eighth spot than you maybe could get, but we felt like because he had a long contract, what people didn't like, but we liked that he had like yeah. another five years on his deal uh, from Memphis, and we felt like it was the perfect fit. I, I think it ended up being right uh, when you go back, but um, I would say if you ask like the Sloan Conference. Should you trade the eighth pick for Shane back then? I bet like 80% would say don't do it. Yeah, back like what would be the equivalent now? It would be like if the Knicks traded – the eighth pick for who? Yeah. Um, I probably I might not be able to use current players, but it would be like, you know, maybe, who's a perfect. I'm trying to think of a current player. Well, I can tell you one. So PJ Tucker would be like trading eighth pick for like a perfect right. win the title glue guy. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. we obviously think PJs can do that for us. Yeah. So, but that, that was a weaker be, draft too, though, the 06. This, this draft uh, now is Yeah, better. it had Aldridge. It had, uh, it was it was a tough draft to nail the picks. You know, Bargnani went first. I think that Ty year. Thomas was involved. Ty Thomas was two, and then there was like a yeah, the Portland Celtics Chicago traded team. the Randy Foy pick for Sebastian Telfair. Uh, that, that was rough. Yeah, did we? I don't remember doing that. Oh that was, yeah, that was a different year, wasn't it? No, that it? was oh six. But we didn't. Did we get Telfair? They remember. they flipped it for. Uh, oh, we retraded Telfair, maybe. Yeah. No, we got that. We yeah, got I the, think you're mixing years. I don't remember. Foy was in that draft, though. That's right. No, no, that was the draft. Huh. And they ended up, they had, like, I think maybe it was LaFrance's contract, which they flipped oh, for no, no, Serbiak's contract. In, I was in you were gone at I that was point. Already in yeah, you yeah, were yeah, gone. So this could have all happened. I, yeah, I, yeah. I was like, man, I don't remember that. No, the draft you were in, yeah, that yeah. was the great Celtics what if, was when Danny really wanted Robert Swift and offered the two first round picks. And Seattle said no, and they had to settle for Al Jefferson, who ends up being in the KG trade, which is the 2008 title. You I'll, need to get I'll lucky I, with these things. I was in the room, but I don't think I can comment on the whole the whole thing. But, but yeah, that's what obviously happened. getting Al Jefferson was was huge, and I didn't know Al Jefferson from anything. If I had any role back then, it was just doing working on the college model and not the high schoolers. Right. So. I think that was 04. Uh, yeah, that was. You need 04. to get lucky sometimes. Yeah, hey, really do. I mean, you got to give credit to Danny for nailing the pick. You, you know, yeah. whether or not Robert Swift was the guy they wanted, he still nailed the pick. Wait, this was 14 years ago. You're acting like, what, what is Danny Ainge going to find you? <laughs> that was the story. They wanted Robert Swift. Uh, hey, man, maybe if he goes to Boston, maybe his career's different. Who knows? Robert Who Swift knows was someone that, that Danny Ainge wanted. That's correct, yes. Oh, he learned his lesson. Now he knows to go for game. But, but, but here's the thing. That's hindsight. Like, Robert Swift could have worked out. Like, no one knew at the time. This is the problem of the draft. Yeah. And the, the, my issue that I've always gotten in trouble with, with guessing with guys, high schoolers, foreign guys. There's just no way to know. Like, Frank Nidalinka, who you can't talk about because he's on another team. But it's like, he went eighth over Malik Monk, and I went crazy because I love Malik Monk, and I just think he's going to be a great pro. And I don't know what this guy who was in France who was averaging four points a game in France. Maybe the upside's higher. But if I'm picking eighth, I want to make sure I get somebody, you know? That's one night, one how nice I'm thing wired. about, you know, never picking high because, you know, our right. worst record yeah, ever you don't is even 41. Know what that's like. 
it, it is, you know, those picks like six through 12. I mean, Ugh. so here's the thing. Here's the hard thing. It's really not fair to the GMs who pick there. Like, let's say you pick five, right? Yeah. The owners don't judge like, did you get a good pick at five relative to other fifth picks in history, which is, you know, a shockingly low rate make it. I think only yeah. like 40% end up being pretty good. They judge it like, is the fifth pick better than the next 55 picks? You have no chance being next, almost no chance. Yeah. Being, your odds of at the fifth pick being better than the next 55 are like 3% or 4 I'm making numbers up now. I didn't analyze it, but it's a really low damn percentage. So, like, you're you're almost screwed picking five, six, seven. You like. I remember when I did the 2013 draft for ESPN, so I really threw myself in the draft. Right, right, I, wanted, I knew right. everybody. I think you interviewed the guy. Oh, yeah, I we did the job that, yeah. interview. Right. So I really had hardcore opinions. Was that Grantland or was it ESPN? It was Grantland and yeah, ESPN, yeah. 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 And uh, and I remember thinking like, because you were in Chicago interviewing guys. We went Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was telling you my experience after, and I was yeah. like, I like this guy. I like this guy. Yeah, this guy yeah. scared me. But um, but I remember leaving that draft going, man. I don't know who the number one pick from this draft, the best guy from this draft six years from what now was is going to be. Thirteen draft. Who was, who? So it was Giannis. Oh, yeah. so Giannis is in that draft. I remember yeah. we Jalen and I both really like C.J. McCollum. Yeah. Um, who ended up going tenth? I I he liked was a good Ol- interview. I really yeah. liked the Oladipo. Yeah, he was a great interview. But Giannis, we're studying these YouTube clips, and Jalen's convinced it's like nine foot rims. We're watching these like hazy Greek YMCA videos, and he just looks much bigger than anyone else. And we're like, we're talking to Fran Frisella, like Frisella. Yeah, and we're like, how does anyone know if Giannis is going to be good at basketball? Like, yeah, there's. I saw him live twice, once in a practice in Greece. Yeah. Our international scout Mar- Marco did a great job identifying him. And like, you know, he was there with his two brothers, younger brother and his older brother. And I mean, he he looked amazing, but like how, what am I supposed to do with that? Like it's just right. like a practice basically. And then I saw him like most of the league saw him there was Treviso International Camp and you had to drive like 2 hours you could go see him on the national team play a game right around that time in June, and I saw him there. That was it, live. Saw a lot of video. Real tough. I mean, I was actually really surprised Philly didn't take him because um, they ended up taking the rookie of the year, so they did fine. But but because he was like the super high upside. For bet. the process, we yeah, had, it made we, more we sense. We had bet that he might take him because we were like super high upside, may as well go for it. We didn't know. We thought Schroeder was going to be the first like guy, foreign guy. Mm-hmm. In that range. Yeah. I, I saw him live and yeah. Giannis felt like he was going to go like somewhere between 18 and 22. And and yet you kind of felt like somebody might take a swing at him. Yeah. And then he went 15. And, yeah. John but that's Hamm- the thing. So John now Hammond that's. did a great job. Yeah. So that. that's the number one guy in that. Well, thing. He, yeah. He, yeah. And that's, that goes it's back to your point. It's actually been a really though. interesting period lately. Though. I think the last five or seven drafts have actually gotten players outside the lottery that are, are just near franchise outside guys. that have been franchise guys, which is super rare when you when you look back. Prior to that little set with, you know, those guys, there was like it was really just like maybe one or two ended up being like even all stars outside of maybe pick twenty. So Yeah, because like Kawhi at fifteen, that was another big one. Uh Go Bear. Who gets sold? The go- that draft, no one had right. Like if you you'd like was that in- Jokic too? Nah, that no. was later. But if you invert, like if you invert that draft, you almost pick better. If you go thirty to one, <laughs> right? Yeah, invert that draft. Like go back and look. It's crazy. Yeah. Like that. I, I I talked about this in the Michael Lewis piece. That draft, I think, was like the one I was off the most. Like, like really, yeah. I think it was that one. I don't remember. Jokic was another one. I mean, it does seem like every year there's at least one guy outside the top. My favorite is 12. we we did it with Chandler Parsons, and I think it happened with Jokic because I think they had other picks, and I think even uh, Bob Myers has been humble about the Draymond pick that they had picks ahead of it. Like didn't take so. Him, yeah. Like actually, our owner is super smart. Leslie came to me after we picked Chandler 38 that year, and he was obviously like one of the top five guys in the league till he got hurt. I mean, from that draft till he got hurt, and um. He, we had two picks ahead of it, and like uh, Leslie, our owner, was like, "You guys really messed up." And 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 I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, you like yeah, you had two picks ahead. We could have lost chance. You know, we could have lost him." 
And I was like, would you believe I knew he'd make it to 38? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, no. I was like, no, you shouldn't believe it because I, I didn't know. Yeah, so. Did I mean, you feel, um, do you feel a bias like those first few years with the GM with like the, were the GMs condescending with you or how'd that go? The you first know what? No, it, it, the GMs, I would say the big difference is when we compare to like baseball. Cause you know, the baseball guys from the analytics that were coming in and like telling everyone that they, they were wrong, everything's wrong. Right. Yeah. And so that was a tough sell when, when by the time basketball really started looking at analytics, a lot of our analysis was like making coaches feel better because like guys like Shane Battier, they averaged like eight points and five rebounds, but coaches loved them. They're like, I think this guy's really helping. Yeah. A lot of the advanced analytics said like guys like Shane are worth a lot more than you think. So you, so when you have a message that's more like, hey, you're right, but here's a few areas where you could improve, that's different than like, you've been wrong your whole life, you idiot. Like that was baseball. Yeah. So the basketball integration was a little bit easier because a lot of the coaches were, you know, you knew that points, rebounds, and assists wasn't really a great way to evaluate players. They just knew it. And and then now these new things like adjusted plus minus and things like that were saying the same thing. They believed. So that Do you helped. believe in chemistry more than you did twelve years ago? Because we yeah. this is our this has been our biggest argument over the years. <laughs> I do. I especially I would say I would nuance. So when you have a team like we have, you know, trying to win the title, chemistry is really like I I did probably underrate it. Um, I still don't think it's important when you're like, you know, when, when you're, you're awesome, when you're Philly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like people worry about, you know, like, uh, when Phil, I'm not saying Philly now, but I'm saying Philly when, when Sam was there, like he was getting beat up for not worrying about chemistry. Like if you're going to win 15 games, like that, does it really matter how you do it? Like, I mean, <laughs> like, so. But I, I do, yeah. I, luckily, it all starts with your best player, and James has been uh, a great leader, and I've been blessed that way. But, yeah, we, I probably, especially when the team's really good, I focus on it a lot. So when you started getting um, attention and notoriety, I nicknamed you lovingly Dork Elvis. I know, I love Song Conference. Nickname. Yeah. You become. It was like your Trump nickname for me or something. <laughs> it was endearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and the song conference takes off, and you become kind of the face of the basketball analytics movement. Did you feel like there was resentment from the other GMs? Because I always heard, I always heard like people were like, "All right, enough of this, Daryl Morey. We we've yeah. had it." I mean, they're right. There should you know. I, so should, would you I, have should, I should. I should. I should shut up more. I mean, that's just true. I you just, don't say. You've been better lately. No, but my personality, as I'm, yeah, people like. Expect me to be one thing. I'm very, I'm different than what anyone expects. I'm like, they think I'm going to be like just a very, imper- you know, introverted guy. I'm not. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think my, yeah, I think I'd talk too much, but you know, it is. I think you just, talk, you might have done too much in the past. I don't think, okay. I think you have the right balance. As long now. as I'm on the Bill Simmons show, it's fine. No, just, it's, you've, you've had this, how many big interviews have you done? You haven't done that many anymore. Nah, not, not, not many. So I think Kyle, I almost feel like this is like BS podcast worthy. I don't know if I want to give this to the Ringer NBA show. I might just have to save this <laughs> for like three weeks from now. Vernon's going to be mad. Yeah. Man. Screw, <laughs> screw that guy. I'm going to keep this for myself. Um, the, uh, I, I do think there's a balance. I think like Sam, who I know you're friends with and yeah. I know him well too. I thought he became too kind of Howard Hughes-ish and I think it hurt him. I think he could have been out there a tiny bit more and massaged the media a little bit better. Well, if you know it's going to end, how it's going to end, he would say for sure. I think he felt like he had ownership support there to execute on the plan and part of the plan was – to you know, not be as out there, especially during the downtimes. Yeah, and you know they obviously that was Sam can be more communicative. It's just he thinks it's better for the team, especially at that point. I don't need to defend him. He could come on, it, especially at that point when he was there. It didn't make sense to be that community. I, I and that said, like if he knew that he didn't have the support that he thought he had. I'm sure he would have been out there more, right? I yeah. mean, like, because he's pretty good too. No, he is. You know, I, th- he, I think he could have handled he, it. He he absolutely could have, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, someone will give him a shot. He could obviously help. I think a lot of teams. So, do you see more teams imitating that? A hundred percent. Like, especially uh, Golden State's like a juggernaut, man. Like, 
if you if you don't have i mean like we're trying to close that gap and we got james harden and chris paul and we're hoping to be a 61 team that's a huge bar in the west i think the west is gonna be strong normally if you could get to 55 61 team that gives you a real shot to win the title yeah now like if we win 60 we're still gonna be like one in six at best probably in vegas usually that's like almost a 40 percent chance you're 15 to one odds right now yeah, that's depressing, man. Why'd you? Yeah. So, are we really fifteen to one right as we sit here? I yeah. thought we might get to like at least ten. Now you're one. fifteen to one. Which you know, book? Which which all one? of them? People believe in the Warriors. Yeah, I understand. I mean, they yeah. have the second best player in the league, who might even be the first best player in the league in twelve months, and they have one of the best shooters of all yeah, time. And we don't need and to go through. This. Draymond Green's really good, and <laughs> they brought everyone back. And I, I mean, would say it's a problem. We got James Harden in his prime. You know, we're going for it. So, but Chris I, Paul, as I said before, like, look, you've been in sports long enough. There have been way bigger upsets than you know. And in fact, you know, obviously, Cleveland beat Golden State two years ago, so we know it's possible. Well, the um, injury luck in the NBA is is the most dramatic of any sport. Right, yeah, it's like it's, overnight you can lose a guy and you're it's, done. I would say yeah. almost, I don't know what the exact rate is, but I would say at least every other year an injury has swung the title in some way. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if couldn't you look say at that the, about any other sport. The Warriors were the best team. If you look at the the first title they won, like they, they didn't face the starting point guard of, I think, any team the entire playoffs, if right. my memory's right. Yeah, because Pat Beverly was out, Kyrie was out, right. uh, Conley was out. Um, yeah, so, I, you know. And again, like, and then to last year, you know, they the Warriors they were the weren't, they weren't 100%. Up. No. I mean, they had all their guys on the floor, but I don't think the whole team no, was No, Bogut was gone. Curry was on, you know, you watch him a year later, you realize how hurt he was in 16. Yeah. But, yeah, it's tough. Injuries, you never know. Yeah. The yeah. nobody believes in us factor is always strong. Yeah, hey, we, I learned that one from you. We're just, got that going. We did. No one believes in us, Bill. No, you got to get that going. Yeah. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to cover. Oh, this is the last part about just doing your job and things you've learned. Dealing with the media, Twitter, leaks, just this whole culture now of people are just so desperate for information all the time, 24-7, which is not what it was like 10 years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. um, and stuff getting out that might not be true or interest or interest that maybe you had that you're hoping wasn't get out. And now that gets out. How does that change your job? Uh, it's, it's been like a boiling of the frog. Like, like you don't really notice any key shift or whatever. So, uh, it's always been something, yeah, I don't have a key moment where I'm like, this is where things, this is where things changed. Um, I would say a lot of that stuff really helps us. If you're a destination city like Houston, one of the reasons I'm out front with the media, uh, I, and, and, um, you know, we, you know, we, you know, there's a lot of stuff written about the Rockets. That helps us recruit free agents. It really does. And, like, even meeting with the guys we met with, we met with one prominent guy in the last couple of days, went back to his team. Like, even a lot of his comments were around, you know, how forward-thinking the owner is, how forward-thinking the organization has been for years, how how forward-thinking Mike D'Antoni's been. And, you know... I love Daryl on the BS podcast. That was important. Yeah. Oh they, yeah, they yeah, don't mention yeah, yeah. that. Oh, he, they, he, okay. did, he did okay. mention that. Oh, good. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, but I, you know, the fact that we have a stable or in our and our owner just you know re-upped all the key people at our team, I think, really does help us in free agency. And so, that's where the media, I think, can really help your team recruit free agents. So, so for the players, you would rank it. They they're looking at city. Just where the city is. I would say, is. no, number one is what star are they pairing with? Among the prominent. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Star first. Star first. Star one, two, three. Okay. Then Owner slash culture. Four is city slash organization. Okay. So it's like, you know, just they're, they're, the players are getting smarter. They're looking less at the coach and more at like the owner. Because you look at like everyone's like, why is the West on top all these years? The, yeah, you know, the owners are better. I mean, like there's exceptions. Obviously, Celtics have amazing owner, and I'll forget some others in the East that have great owners. I don't know but if you, you did, but you look, you look one through at least eleven yeah. in the West, and these are like owners that have been really good, and yeah. that that's the difference. So the, I think so. Four is like owner and organization, and then five is probably and city. Sort of like all, I'd say tied owner organization and city. 
and then and then and then coaches. I'd say coach, own organization, city are like tied, and superstars like one, two, three. What about uh, income tax? Ha! That's a good one for you. Texas that, that and Florida. May, yeah, that maybe that's dis- got a factor that a little bit. Discussed a lot. Yeah, we had a prominent free agent. I'd say like two years ago, who like was asleep the whole meeting and then woke up when we showed him the tax savings. So, oh really? Like, yeah, yeah, that one didn't work out. So I that's hilarious. That was, yeah, barbecue so. is up there. Uh, we have great barbecue. Yeah, is that like number eight? Uh, I think it's pretty far down the list. Uh, is it ahead of gentlemen's club? Stuff, uh, gentlemen Jaylen clubs ahead or I would say all the stuff Jalen talks about. <laughs> Champagne and campaign. It's a little bit higher up than the barbecue. Yeah. So I mean, you could get in Houston. You could live right outside the city and have a house that's like what fifty thousand square feet. Yeah, I mean, you could have a giant ranch. No, we we show the players like so. If you want, like, so I, um, a. F- let's say a five to $10 million house in like say the Bay area or something is, yeah. is like 800 grand in Houston or right. something like in a, in a nice area. So Jesus. you can get like 20,000 square feet houses. Like Tracy McGrady still has in Sugarland for, you know, like a million and a half or something like that. So wait, I had one last, last question. Um, I feel like the NBA owners are smarter than the NFL owners. I don't know the NFL owners. So, so and, here, to comment. and here's why. I think the NFL owners, a lot of old school money, older guys build it the old way. And it feels like these NBA owners that are coming in now, and now you have almost half the league full of them, these guys that made money like through tech or some sort of new wave industry, they're younger, they think differently, they take chances. Do you feel that in the league? Like since you, yeah, I think the owners are smarter and they're hiring better people. And uh, I do think. I do think that change is is really happening. Yeah, absolutely. And like Adam wants great owners. I want terrible owners. So yeah, I want more bad owners. Which you really you need at least you need at least six teams that don't know what they're doing. Is your dream if not more? Like as your you know, dream would be twenty teams that don't know what they're doing. <laughs> at least. Well, I think you've seen the poker analogy. Yeah. It's like. Like if you're the one shark and it's all minnows at the table, you clean up. But if you just had one more shark, like all the profits is divided by two, basically. So even adding one marginal good owner like hurts like our ability to compete like in a big way. So yeah, well, it doesn't seem like it just seems like the rule of the NBA is there's always going to be a couple. You haven't had your wouldn't your bad owner summit coming? You always have your bad GM summit, but you could. The that bad, could be like a four-hour. The bad owner summit would be a long. You want to get article. hired by him, so you're not going to do a bad owner summit. Of, come on, <laughs> that would be a long-ass owner summit thing. I do know that they don't like when I make fun of the owners. They they don't. The uh, league the league doesn't like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame them because you know who owns the you league. Were the on, you were hard on the Clippers in that article a little bit you know, to me. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Did I, they I cancel your season tickets yet? No, I, no? I really like Balmer. He came in, mm. and I, I think he's a smart guy. I think I think he's starting to realize that he he's hit a point that I think a lot of NBA owners hit at some point where they're like, I own the team. I should be making all these decisions and then delegating to somebody. You know, I think the ones that turn things over to other people tend to regret it for the most part. One like thing your have, owner is involved in everything, always right? Involved. The one thing I talk about, people don't realize it's really important to have an active, involved owner. Yeah. The, the whole thing where you don't want owner involved, I think, was created by coaches like 30 years ago. Like, Well, because the owners were dumber back then. They were guys that just were waltzing in and be like, hey, let's trade for Bob McAdoo. I can't comment on that, but this is a couple things I say on that. Look, one, the owners are the only people who have the – the fans' interest perfectly aligned. <laughs> They're going to own the team a long time. The fans are going to be a fan a long time. GMs come in and you've seen it. Like they're like they have like two more years on their deal, and they're like yeah. trading like seven draft picks for like that kills the team. Yeah. And that's where you want your owner to step in, and and um, you also want the owners even to hire smart guys, but then ask a lot of questions because. Hopefully I'm decent at my job. There's a bunch of other, like, but he is always asking me questions like, what about this? What about that? What about this? And it's, and it's, he is the reason the Rockets have been like the second best team in the league for the last 20 years. Like we've had a good run while I've been there, but really look at, 
It's gone who, back to like 92. Yeah, he's back to, yeah, I think he owned it in 93, two titles. And yeah, if you go back to then, I think we're the fourth best record and two titles. And, re- and some really bad luck with Yao. Well, yeah, actually. I mean, I, that Yao is somebody that could have been one of the best 40 players of all time and I think got run into the ground by his country. Well, it's actually one of my things I remember with our owner. When Yao got hurt in the second round of the playoffs against the Lakers, the year I thought we could beat him, took him to seven games, even without Yao. Uh, Yao went down, and we were worried this might be it. Right? He he came back and played five more games, but that was, yeah, he wasn't. That same. was pretty much it. And uh, you know, I was talking to Mr. Alexander. I said, "Hey, you know, poor Yao, or whatever." He's like, "Yeah, I really feel bad for Yao, but what about the fans? Like, what about like? It's not just." Yeah, obviously that's who we were thinking about at the time, but it's it's all the fans who have put so much into it and everything like that. So it was, uh, you know, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. I was just worried about Yao and his foot and everything. And yeah, and and he he again, owners are the only ones who only you know coaches you know if they make it four years they're lucky. Should get longer ten years probably, but uh, and GMs make it like six to ten years usually. It's only the owners who care that you're. Giving away all your you know draft yeah. picks and everything like active smart owners beats beats uninvolved owner any day of the week. Daryl Morey, Thanks this was good. Man. Twelve yeah. years with the Rockets now. So coming up on twelve, yeah, amazing. Oh six to now, so. and you never really had a dalliance with another team, right? No, I would never. You're would a loyal leave. dude. I would never leave. You know, Leslie gave me my shot. And, you married uh, the first girl I ever kissed you. You stayed with the same NBA sadly, team. Sadly, not the first kiss, but <laughs> damn, damn close. <laughs> my the first one I went out with at Northwestern, though. Yeah, Ellen. So yeah. you're a loyal guy. I'm. I'm. I'm very. You loyal. saved your best podcast performances for my podcast, which I appreciate. <laughs> I yeah, I. I, I like, admit I'm a better podcast that- host than Woosh. That's not close, actually. Yeah, I love Woj. He's great at what he does. But <laughs> yeah, like... suck it, Woj. You might have broken every story. <laughs> yeah, he's like literally the king of basketball. But yeah, no, I yeah. mean, you're great at podcasts and writing. He's great at breaking stories, you know? So Woj, yeah, now Woj is going to get his revenge on me. He's going to destroy me. <laughs> I like Woj. I get along with Woj. Uh, ESPN's Adrian Woj, you're asking I know. Uh, the, I would never all, predicted that. Unbelievable. Came to the mothership, man. He's so. they, they sometimes they just target people and they go grab them. Yeah. Um, Daryl Morey, thanks. This was fun. It. Thank you. Good luck. Uh, I don't know when we're running this, but good luck with the rest. Good luck finding your minimum, guys. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> it. Right. Thanks. Thanks, bye.